This is Saving the Game, a Christian podcast about tabletop role-playing and collaborative storytelling. Recorded Thursday, May 30th of 2019, it's episode 154. In this episode, the Eighth Commandment on theft, plus a surprisingly lengthy talk about hot dogs and hamburgers, Peter's first Minecraft experience, bad cheese jokes, innocence character creation, this guy, and more. Welcome to Saving the Game. I'm Peter. I'm Jenny. And I'm Grant. Grant is back! (laughs) Surprise. Or something. Hooray. Welcome back. I'm glad you're feeling better. Yes. (laughs) Me too. I'm not 100% yet, but I'm at a point where I can kind of push through and things are sore, not I can't move my mouth and am slurring and air is escaping from the corner of my mouth because I can't close my lips. (laughs) So, Yay! Yeah, that sounds very unpleasant. I'm I'm glad you're back to the point where you're at least 85 to 90% functional, I guess. Yeah, it's never going to be 100%, but I'm getting there. And the good news is by the time this episode drops, I will have seen a neurologist to at least start the process of trying to figure out why this comes back every year. Mm. So, yay, that's something. Yeah, yeah. Fun what times. Ha- what happens in May? Yeah, exactly. All right, so um, we have a little bit of... Just a tiny little bit of news in it, then we can launch into a proper everybody is here topic. So um, we did go ahead and do character creation for that Innocence game that I mentioned last episode. Uh, yes, so, I'm excited. Yeah, we have a bunch of kind of um, wrong side of the tracks kids, which, you know, player characters. So that's kind <laughs> of the- I don't even know that they're all wrong side of the tracks. I suspect that a lot of our individual social differences growing up and class differences growing up are going to show through in these characters. Probably. Because I grew up in a very suburban environment and not everyone else did. Yeah, I grew up in a little tiny town that was very, like, peaceful and nice. (laughs) Yeah. And like, not all of my, you know, my neighbors were nice. I fought constantly. Like I was physically in fistfights constantly with neighbor kids, but then it'd be like, okay, cool. Now we're going to go play, play tag or something. You know, the kind of games you play as kids riding bikes around, things like that. It's just kind of part of the process. But like I had this very suburban picket fence childhood and other, other players did not. And so I think that's really going to show through. Yeah. All that having be said, interesting. You know, these are fairly archetypal characters, and they're going to be interesting, and they'll be fun, and half of our game is going to be spent learning the system, (laughs) GM included, so. Yeah, and I made a cleric again. My character has three dots in medicine. (laughs) Yeah, you did. You did. I I made a dependable liar, so (laughs) I'm excited. I mean, that's kind of your archetypal character, too. A little bit shady, but, you know, loyal to the party, so... Fundamentally, somebody you can trust, just not when they talk. Yeah, a little bit of a Jack Sparrow, like, you know, you can always trust a dishonest man to be dishonest kind hey, of a thing. The, the character concept, like, the, you always have, like, the, the pitch line for your character, and it's just like, I'll cover for you. Yeah. Mine is pretty much, that kid's going to grow up to be a military surgeon someday. Or a Boy Scout. Anyway, it'll be fun. It, it's going to be interesting, actually. I'll say this. Uh, my wife's running the game. And Chrissy has, you know, she's got a lot of questions. This is her first time ever GMing anything. And she's somewhat familiar with World of Darkness, but not super familiar with everything. She doesn't enjoy reading rule books. It's fine. 
very few people do. <laughs> I don't know. You're not going to find a huge amount of sympathy for that point of view here. I like reading through mine, but... No, yeah. I mean, like, statistically, very few people enjoy reading rule books. Right, yeah. You and I are among them, but yeah, I, I will admit your point there. Even I don't super love it. Um, like, rules crunch, What? Not my. not always my thing. But the point is, she's learning this process, so I know everything that's going on in this game. It's going to be an interesting role-playing experience where I'm going to be kind of role-playing as sort of a metagame helper. Hmm. So... Well, it's good to have one of those the first time you GM in any case, so... Yeah, yeah, I think so. Honestly, I would be totally happy if everybody knew the plot and we were all just helping a new GM. That would be totally fine, because the the point is, hey, we've got a new GM. Let's let's have fun with that. Yeah, I I think there are some games that actually even kind of revolve around that a little bit, but yeah. Oh, sure, there are. Uh, But yeah, anyway, it'll be really interesting, and I'm very much looking forward to uh, playing kids on bikes and skateboards and, you know. Careful, kids on on bikes is an actual game. (laughs) I know, that's why I said, and skateboards. Uh, Um, Probably rollerblades. Rollerblades are very 90s, and we're planning on uh, playing in the 90s. We're getting into scraps, and I don't know that any of our characters could afford rollerblades. Probably not. Maybe my character in another year or two, his mom just got a much better job, but. Yeah. How do you you afford bikes, but not rollerblades rollerblades were like 25 bucks they were not expensive like the fancy ones like if you were a fancy kid doing the fancy rollerblading at the fancy skate park you had the stuff with that those neon uh lightning bolts on them and and you you, oh sure and then you paint paint them in glow in the dark paint and you'd show off to the other kids late at night but like i don't know my rollerblades were like 25 bucks well, I mean, I could be wrong. It's been a long time, and I don't remember. And I'm pretty sure I got mine as like a birthday or Christmas gift. Mine were absolutely secondhand. I think there were like five pairs of rollerblades in town, and everybody wore them. I never actually so, had them because I had lousy balance on any kind of skates, but I rode a bike a lot. So oh, I had them. Yeah. My like, I literally have scars all over my elbows and knees. From oh yeah, no, stuff like a, that. So, oh, I have those too, but I just managed to get them without rollerblading. <laughs> yeah, I, I got mine from my uh, my very poorly thought out attempt to uh, skateboard and swinging into a tree on a vine. But that's a different story. Um, <laughs> into a tree. Oh, well, I was oh, trying to go punk. around it. Look, the, the deal was one of the, the big rivers in South Carolina actually starts pretty close to us and run, runs behind the houses across the street from the house I grew up in. Mm. And it's this tiny, you know, it's a tiny little stream. The river's not moving quickly. Okay. Oh. It's pretty stagnant. And so there are these huge trees and vines that hang down and, you know, it's just kind of covered and it's, it's kind of a fun place, but you know, you've got these this bank and vines that are like two inches wide and big trees. And who's not going to grab those vines and swing out over the water and try and come back and then like kind of go at an angle and try and wrap around a tree and then, you know, wrap yourself back. And if you're like me, who's not going to not get quite enough uh, angular momentum and run elbow first into a tree? Oh, <laughs> ow. Yeah. Yeah. Childhood. Anyway. It's a good thing that little kids are so durable because they need it a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. No, I still have nasty puckered scar on my elbow from that one. Anyway, I'm looking forward to that. It'll be fun. The other fun thing that we have done recently is we got Peter to actually try Minecraft on our stream, on our Twitch stream. Yeah, and prior to that, I had never played Minecraft before. Um, I believe you said you'd never seen a gameplay video. Yeah, that's also accurate. Um... 
I, I knew Minecraft is a cultural phenomenon, obviously, because I've been on the internet and I also <laughs> worked in a bookstore that stocked like Minecraft plushies and Legos and books and that sort of thing for mm-hmm. like 15 years. But yeah, I yep. never actually played Minecraft or watched Let's Plays of it. I went in totally cold in 2019 last week. Yeah, that was how, pretty great. How old is Minecraft? Ten. It just turned 10 years old, like a week and a half ago. Really? Oh, <laughs> perfect. Yeah. So I kind of was like, look, it turned 10 this week and we're getting the old man of our podcast. Who's <laughs> only a couple years older than me. So, yeah, here I go. Getting Peter to try Minecraft for the first time. So he, that was Kind of a fun thing. Also, he spent the first hour just getting destroyed by zombies and creepers. It was great. Yeah, I was not expecting that level of pressure first. <laughs> and the, the the thing is, too, is it's like I ran into that unenviable position where it's like I got into basically a death spiral at night and mm-hmm. I just kept getting like swarmed by stuff and killed every couple of minutes. And I that made for a rough like that probably wasn't the most entertaining watching because it's like, oh, look, he's dead again. And look, he's dead again. And look, he's dead again watch the game do the respawn thing and you know? just kind of like oh. i'm fairly sure certain that that is like the height of twitch culture <laughs> oh look he's dead again <laughs> but having said that it was fun once you kind of got grounded in the game and had a, a little shelter built really started getting into it mining and exploring you got up to iron armor and uh Iron Sword, we're able to fight off stuff. You, yeah. Um, don't think you got deep enough to find, like, gold or any anything else. I did not. No. I, I was working my way kind of down a, um, a spiral, basically, that I'd made mm-hmm. to kind of bore into the earth without uh, yep. spreading out too much, so. Yeah. But it was fun, because you had me on stream basically doing commentary, which was pretty great. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad that your face was feeling good enough that night to actually do that, because mm-hmm. it would have... I don't think it would have been anywhere near as entertaining just watching me like flail around without somebody more experienced to provide some commentary. So, <laughs> well, and there's a little bit of just time saving knowledge as well. But yeah. yeah, it was it was fun, and I'm looking forward to doing some more of that. We really should do some some multiplayer. I think that would be great. Yeah, mm-hmm. at some point we definitely should. Just to kind of be explicit about this, I liked the game once I'd gotten a chance to play it. It was just one of those things where it's like movie that you you know love or book that you'd love or game that you'd love that you just haven't ever gotten around to playing. I had no objection to it. I just mm. never had. So. Yeah. All right. Well, shall we move on and do our Patreon question? Yeah, let's do that. Excellent. So thanks to everybody who has sent in questions. Uh, we still have a bunch of Patreon supporters who have not sent questions in. Quick note to our Patreon supporters, you have access to the list of questions. So take a look at that. If you haven't sent questions in or you think you haven't, take a look, see what's in there, what's been asked, what's in the backlog, that sort of thing, if you want to get questions in. So, FYI. If if you are just happy supporting us and you don't care about questions, that's totally fine. Yes, Um, The the reason why I was so adamant about asking last time is I saw a whole bunch of names that I know had asked us stuff in the past that were blank. So, and it is nice to have a larger table, but I know there's plenty of you that enjoy asking questions and probably just needed a nudge, so. Indeed. I'm going to roll a die. And again, thanks to everybody who has sent questions in. I'm rolling a bigger die than I've had to roll in the past. So thank you. So this is from Richard Lorenz, who asks a very simple question. Hot dogs or hamburgers? Hamburgers, but I'll make a little bit of an asterisk by that for like eating out at craft shows and stuff, because you can usually get a Vienna beef Chicago dog 
ethos, but not a good burger. And in that comparison, the hot dog definitely wins out. Chicago-style hot dogs are great. What am I allowed to put on the hot dog? Whatever you want. Same with the burger. Dang. I like. Okay, so I'm going to choose between the best hot dog I've ever had and the best hamburger I've ever had. Ooh, okay. Best First hamburger. Off, you got to tell us about these, you realize. Okay. Yeah. Best hot dog I ever had is a hot dog that I had uh, in Tyler's hometown at, I think it's Jones's. I think it's Jones's Hot Dogs. Mm-hmm. It's bright red. Like, it looks like a cartoon. And mm-hmm. you put, okay, first off, it says it's a chili cheese dog. It's lying because Americans don't know how to make chili. I'm just, I'm throwing that out there right now. Hot dog chili is different from real chili. Then don't call it chili. You call it hot dog with sloppy Joe bits on it. Because that's what I it agree. is. Like, I agree. I hate yeah. the stuff, but. I thought it was really quite good. I added relish and mustard to it and I had a very good time. And the texture was amazing. It was, it was fantastic. It was smooth without being artificial. It, it was oh, really, nice. really nice. And it, it tasted very good. It was so good. And oh, if you added hot sauce to it, ah, ha, ha, it was like, pff, it was awesome. Best hamburger I ever had actually gave me food poisoning. So, oh dear. Oh no. Until then, it was delicious. <laughs> it was a moose burger. It was, it had moose and, um, a, like, uh, it was a white cheese of some kind. I want to say it was Havarti. And, and there were broccoli bits on it and some spinach. And I, I had it for my birthday and it was a great time. And then I spent, I was up until two in the morning with, with food poisoning, food poisoning. <laughs> <laughs> but it was so tasty, but I'm going to have to give it to the hot dog because the hamburger gave me food poisoning. Mm. I mean, that seems like a, a reasonable criteria for choosing yeah. one over the other. I would still have a moose burger again. I've gotten food poisoning an embarrassing number of times. And a lot of the time it's like, I can't even look at that anymore. Like, I, yeah. I, I can't do eel anymore. I got food poisoning from an eel thing one time. I cannot deal with eel at all. It's not a, a section of my palate that I allow to be activated anymore. But sure. I love moose too much. And I will absolutely have a moose burger again if given the opportunity. Okay, so I've had, obviously, cow and I've had bison. How does moose stack up in there? You have a, a really rich beef stew. Okay. And then you make it richer and a little gamier. Okay, so it's kind of like bison, but even more so. Yeah. Yeah. That does sound good. <laughs> it's it's really good. <laughs> and really good with broccoli florets. You wouldn't think, but it is. Huh. Hmm. All right, Grant? <laughs> okay, so I'm torn, but also sort of in a different way. I'm kind of thinking of this in terms of, like, grilling it yourself. Oh. Right? In that case, I think hamburgers win out. No question. Yeah. Having said that, I will make an exception for not a hot dog, but like a bratwurst. Mm. Yeah. Which is a, it's different, and I don't think it quite qualifies, yeah. but like a grilled brat really tastes amazing. Oh, yeah. Like like if we're just going straight up sausages or hamburgers, sausage every time. Like we're I get cravings here. for sausages. <laughs> just like yeah. I had a moment the other week where a patron came in. And they were taking their kid home afterwards, and the kid was like, what's for supper? And she was like, we're having some bratwurst. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no, I want <laughs> You that said now. the yeah. bratwurst word, and yes. I immediately went home. So quick note, Chrissy and I just made brats 
because we were like, oh, let's let's get something that's kind of fun. And we we'd thought about grilling out because it, it was a three day weekend, Memorial Day weekend here in the U.S. And traditionally you grill out and that sort of thing, but it was really hot. So we didn't. Instead, we just kind of did it in the oven. And one of the things we did was made a sort of um, bell pepper and shallot topping. She shared brats. this recipe in our gaming group's Discord, yeah. and it looks delicious. That's With so a cool. Dijon mustard and apple cider vinegar vinaigrette, it's so good. Baste the um, brats with that, put the rest into the, the vegetables, put the veggies on top, roast them alongside the brats in the oven. Delicious. Fantastic. To riff off Jenny here, I do have to tell everyone the best burger I have ever had, which was not from a home grill. There's a restaurant in Greenville called Larkins, Larkins on the River, which is a, a pretty expensive steak restaurant. And they have a spinoff chain that they have created. It's not really even a chain, but it's three, they have three locations called Grill Marks. And this is kind of upscale burgers. Like they okay. have you know, white truffle parmesan fries and sweet potato fries and stuff like that. So this burger was uh, their Cafe Al... And Jenny, I'm going to slaughter the French here and I apologize. Okay, okay. Cafe Al Poivre. P-O-I-V-R- P-O-I-V-R-E. Yeah, pepper coffee. Yeah. It is a coffee and peppercorn encrusted patty with criminy mushrooms, brie cheese, onion straws on the burger in au poivre sauce. Au poivre. Au, au poivre sauce. Au poivre. Oh, good lord, that sounds delicious. It, it does. Like, it's my really mouth was good. watering. I had to, like, be really careful not to, like, right into the mic. Yeah. Oh my gosh, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's really good. Yeah. It's it was delicious. So that's the best burger I've ever had. But Oh, can I revise my burger statement? Yes, you on may. favorite burger. So actually, if we're just going hamburger, not going moose burger, best hamburger I ever had was in a tiny little gas station um on our way back from Fear the Con, the last Fear the Con we went to. And the burger itself was, no- was nothing special, but the patty tasted like a steak. Ooh. It oh. was a steak that somebody had ground up and turned into a patty. Like, oh, I mean, steak it was amazing. Are, yeah, steak burgers can be a thing, and they're good. My goodness, it was so fantastic. You don't I, usually yeah. see them at gas stations, it. you know? It's Yeah. Um. To hmm. be fair, gas station in, like, a beef farming community. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, like they are drawing directly from the source. That's but, a fair point. Yeah, it was like a $2 burger. $4 if I included the side of fries and a drink. Just so good. I had such a good time. And it had been such a rough day because we'd hit construction site after construction site, I think. And it was just, it just, oh, it tasted like a steak. It tasted like a steak. It was so good. <laughs> a little bit of the hunger is the best seasoning effect going there, maybe? I don't think so because I have a very sensitive meat palate. I pay attention to meat a lot because it can mess with my mouth a lot. Like I, I get, um, if I chew meat the wrong way, my gums swell up. It's it like Ooh. I have to be really. I, I don't have to be really careful about what I what meat I eat. I eat pretty much whatever's edible. But like I pay attention. This was a very very good burger. <laughs> hmm. Very cool. That sounds yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Richard, that turned into more of a question than I think we expected. Well done. Yep. And again, if anybody else wants to get their questions in, uh, we've just told you how to send them in. Go ahead and do so. And if you want to support us on Patreon, help us keep going with the show. That's always appreciated. Just go to patreon.com slash saving the game. All right. We've got some scripture to read. A fair bit of it. We do. Some of it's short. 
Who wants to start us off? I'll take Exodus. All right. <laughs> this is Exodus 2015. You shall not steal. Well done. That's it. <laughs> Jenny, you want to take Malachi or I? Uh, I can take Leviticus. I will gladly okay. take Leviticus. Then I will do Malachi. Uh, and I think I put this in anyway, so this works. This is Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring me the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Leviticus chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. The Lord said to Moses, If anyone sins and is unfaithful to the Lord by deceiving a neighbor about something entrusted to them, or left in their care, or about something stolen, or if they cheat their neighbor, or if they find lost property and lie about it, or if they swear falsely about any such sin that people may commit, when they sin in any of these ways and realize their guilt, they must return what they have stolen or taken by extortion, or what was entrusted to them, or the lost property they found, or whatever it was they swore falsely about. They must make restitution in full, add a fifth of the value to it, and give it all to the owner on the day they present their guilt offering. And as a penalty, they must bring to the priest, that is, to the Lord, their guilt offering, a ram from the flock, one without defect and of the proper value. In this way, the priest will make atonement for them before the Lord, and they will be forgiven for any of the things they did that made them guilty. And we have Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And we have Romans 13, 7 through 10. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other command there may be are summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So tonight we are talking about the Eighth Commandment. We're picking up our commandments series, and we're getting close to the end. This is great. Tonight we're talking about thou shalt not steal. So we kind of have to ask very quickly, what is theft? I, I, I think theft is one of those that we very intuitively understand, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. You've taken something from you me. You take. Yeah, taking something that isn't yours. There's a, a nice little quote that I like from J. Ellsworth Collis, uh, whose Ten Commandments from the Backside book I've been referring to throughout this series. And he kind of describes theft fairly succinctly in this way. Stealing can be a passive act as well as an active one. The sin of commission is to take money that belongs to another. Here he's talking about money, but of course, this doesn't just refer to money. It's anything, right? Any, any physical possession or any possession, let's say. Anyway, the sin of commission is to take money that belongs to another. The sin of omission is to keep money that I ought to give to another. Sins of commission being much more obvious to mortals— we all pretty commonly understand theft as taking that which doesn't belong to you without permission. Can Play I this, can I make mm -hmm. a joke first off? Because yes, I've, of course. I've been waiting to use this joke in context. What do you call cheese that isn't yours? Nacho, nacho cheese. Nacho cheese! That's nacho cheese! <laughs> there we go. I figured that this would be the most appropriate topic to tell that joke with, and I've done it now, and it's out of my system. You will never hear that joke from my mouth again. 
and tangentially ties into our Patreon question. So well done. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. You're, you're right. It's not your cheese. And this idea of, you know, taking what doesn't belong can be a little bit of a narrow definition. Ultimately, what we're talking about here is greed, applied greed. It can take the form of hoarding wealth and not giving to those who helped you achieve that wealth, it giving back what's owed to other people, to society, etc. Uh, but I don't want us to lose sight of the fact that it is also taking things that other people have that are not yours without permission. Mm -hmm. To quote Collis again, as long as our world has a population of two, we will need the Eighth Commandment. <laughs> Sad but true. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I think, again, we all pretty clearly understand the idea of committing theft, taking what isn't yours. I do want to give a quote from C.S. Lewis that's very relevant. There's a, you're going to get a lot of quotes on this one. I apologize, but I, I have relevant. a number of good books and some good quotes on this. C.S. Lewis was writing in The Problem of Pain, and he's not quite writing about theft specifically, but he's talking about the universe as a neutral medium through which we interact with one another. If a man traveling in one direction is having a journey downhill, a man going in the opposite direction must be going uphill. If even a pebble lies where I want it to lie, it cannot, except by a coincidence, be where you want it to lie. And this is very far from being an evil. On the contrary, it furnishes occasion for all those acts of courtesy, respect, and unselfishness by which love and good humor and modesty express themselves. But it certainly leaves the way open to a great evil, that of competition and hostility. And if souls are free, they cannot be prevented from dealing with the problem by competition instead of courtesy. The other half of this is the sin of omission, keeping what ought not to be yours. Yeah. And this can be egregious sins like slavery, keeping people, or as petty as bouncing a payroll check, or insidious, refusing to pay people enough to sustain themselves, or not holding up your end of an agreement, especially when the other party held up theirs. Uh, St. Basil, who's an influential saint who lived from the 330s, we believe, to 379 AD. Yeah, this was some strident stuff. Um, yes. The, the actual quote here is, Who is a man of greed? Someone who does not rest content with what is sufficient. Who is a cheater? Someone who takes away what belongs to others. Are you not a man of greed? Are you not a cheater? Taking those things which you received for the sake of stewardship and making them your very own. Now, someone who takes a man who is clothed and renders him naked would be teamed a robber. Would be, termed sorry, a robber. would be termed a robber. But when someone fails to clothe the naked while he is able to do this, is such a man deserving of any other appellation? The bread which you hold back belongs to the hungry. The coat which you guard in your locked storage chest belongs to the naked. The footwear moldering in your closet belongs to those without shoes. The silver that you keep hidden in a safe place belongs to the one in need. In other words... Everything except for what you need to survive right now in the minute is stolen. And I would say that planning ahead, having savings, that sort of thing, a certain amount of stewardship is important. I'm not I sure St. Basil would agree with you, but yeah. he may not. But, you know, I, I, I would say that especially, you know, in, in a modern economy, you, yeah. you need that. Right. Sure. But certainly having more, you know, more than you need. We all probably have more than we need and can give in ways that cut a little bit. There's a, a C.S. Lewis quote, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have it in front of me, but there's a very good one from Mere Christianity, where Lewis, talking about charity, says that if our charity doesn't pinch us in some way, then we are probably giving too little. 
Yeah. Right, Which is not always the easiest thing to hear, but... <laughs> no. No, it's not. But I, I've always liked that definition because we have a tendency to try and put some exact numbers on it, right? The whole tithing thing is very popular, and that's a way to make it pinch, but there are people for whom that may not be appropriate. There are people for whom it's not appropriate in the other direction. Yeah. And, you know, that idea of it needs to, to pinch in some way to give to the point where there's something that you don't, don't get because you've made sure that others do have. I think that's very important. Yeah, an, an excess that you do not get for the sake of providing a basic need to another. Yes. Yeah, if you are, if you are starving or something, that's not good either. But No. <laughs> although, once again, I'm not sure St. Basil would agree, but... <laughs> well... He's talking about, like, moldering things and things that are not in use, like... Yeah, the, the uh, bread you hold back, the yeah. coat in your locked storage chest, that sort of thing. I, yeah. I think that's what he's talking about there. Yeah, but I mean, I, I think, you know, if based on what he quoted there, I think if he had access to modern science, he'd be like, all right, you need to eat the exact number of calories you need to sustain your life for the day. Possibly, but I think you may be reading slightly too much into it. Yeah. And he, what he's saying. He also came from an era where, if I'm recalling that, that particular pre-medieval era correctly, oh, it yeah. was very, very popular. Um, ascetism was incredibly yeah. popular, where you have less than the basic needs. You sleep on the floor because you don't need a mattress to right. live. Right. Well, remember, like, this is also late Roman era with yeah. all the decadence that entails. Mm -hmm. Sure. At any rate, I think his, his ultimate point is very valid, where he's talking about, you know, you have these excesses, you have things you've saved up that you're not using, that you're not needing. It is theft to keep that from other people who need it. Yeah. I think that's very valid. And I, I yeah. think uh, just to like, I'm not trying to be too down on him, even though it, it probably sounds like I am a little bit. I, I think what he has to say is valuable. And I think sometimes like realizing that the standard is unattainable keeps us humble. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Trying to get as close as we can, even though we're not going to get there, is maybe not the worst thing for us prideful humans to deal with on occasion. Yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. That's so. certainly true. One thing that should be mentioned here is that uh, as with all of these commandments. And especially noted with the fourth. Especially the, the, notable with the with, um, um Thank you for reminding me. All of these commandments can be broken for the purpose of saving a life, according to Jewish tradition. Right. Which is always interesting. It's it's less obvious for me in terms of stealing. I think it's in some I think in some ways stealing is the most applicable for saving a life. Sure, yeah. And, and, and I'm not I'm not talking about like Really? Oh, you mean like you know, stealing yeah, stealing to, to feed you know, your hungry feed, child, you know, um, your hungry child, that kind of thing. Like to put it in like a role playing game situation, if I am playing a rogue, which I kind of am ish i hope to get back to that rogue character soon but if my rogue character if i was <laughs> i just had a funny thought if ganelon was lawful good like stealing a knife from a thief in order to prevent them from killing somebody um uh or stealing a knife from sure, an assassin to keep them from killing somebody? assassin i i meant to say like murderer or potential murderer. I said thief. I don't know why I said we're talking about theft. <laughs> well, having already looked ahead a little bit to look at, you know, like D&D, &D, yeah. I was just sort of assuming that yeah. we were talking about a rogue. But like, I, I think it's probably the most applicable and in, in the Sabbath because there's a, a lot of debate on killing somebody to save a life. When is it going to come up with adultery? Like, when is that going to come up? It is not going to come up nearly as often with adultery, I think. It's, it's just, yeah. Yeah, that's very true. Uh, and this is a long-standing philosophical problem, right? You know, is it 
moral to steal a loaf of bread in order to feed your hungry family, right? I mean, this is a classic problem. As I kind of mentioned, the rogue archetype exists for a reason. Theft is sort of a prime component of the classic gaming experience. And I would say even going further back to many of its to, to a lot of its predecessor material when we're talking about Dungeons and sure. Dragons. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Robin Hood. Robin Hood, Conan. Yeah. Conan is barely heroic. <laughs> no, but that sword and sorcery style it often features yeah. characters who are thieves. Oh, okay. It, who include I gotcha. Conan, right? Conan is, you know, a, a thief and a, uh, a robber. Sure. Yeah. I, I just wasn't quite sure what you were getting that there first yeah. but yeah that, that makes sense it's embedded in the bedrock of our gaming hobby in a lot of ways and there are a lot of examples we can run through grave robbing let's go into the dungeon and oh hey the dungeon's a tomb well let's let's go see what's in these sarcophagi and get some grave goods eh? yeah and i mean that that's kind of an interesting case let's since we're there let's talk about that a little bit because that's kind of an interesting case how long can the dead own something Sure. I mean, yeah. like, Does you it know, belong if, to the family? If nobody remembers the nobody alive, no elf, no dragon, nothing, you know, none of these crazy long lived creatures that tend to populate a lot of fantasy settings. If none of them remember the empire that, you know, this tomb is from, are you still stealing? Well, this is this has real world antecedents, yeah. right? You know, look at the field of archaeology. Oh, right. yeah. yeah. And like a lot of the plundering of old stuff that's wound up in museums in different countries and stuff. It's a non-hypothetical. Exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. No one's saying, oh, yeah, this belongs to the dead person. This belongs to the, you know, the family of the deceased, unless they happen to know who that's descended from, which is almost never. But, you know, it's like, yeah, well, it belongs to our nation. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, a longstanding problem. But certainly in a, a fantasy game where that sort of nationalism doesn't always exist, who does it belong to? Eh, who knows? Uh, and if we're robbing like a lich's keep, is it different? Well, and then let's get back to the whole save a life thing. You know, it's like if we need the stuff that's in this tomb to prevent the apocalypse, you know, or huh, this is level appropriate treasure that will help us be heroes later on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, even that. But even then, it it does get a little awkward if you think about it, especially if we're thinking about it from a Christian perspective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Having said all that, grave robbing is one example of kind of the, the dungeon crawl, you know, loot and scoot kind of gaming. There are other games that are very specifically about heists. heists. Yeah. Shadowrun. Yeah. Shadowrun. There are a number of, of games that are really, really good at heists specifically. I, I There's one I meant to look up uh, and didn't. Leverage. Played uh, Leverage at uh, the last Through the Con that I was at. That was a solid one. Um, there's yeah. another one that's much more board gamey. Michael Matthews ran that one too, and I'm trying. I played with Tyler even. I am remembering that you played this game with Tyler, and that Tyler had very good things to say about it, and that Michael Matthews ran it. It was Matthews an excellent it. game. It was. It, so it is good. much closer to a board game, but there are role playing elements in it. Yeah, um, there's one I'm thinking of where players plan a heist. And part of the planning process is the players describe problems that they will have to overcome. Like the vault door has this kind of code and we're going to need and like this kind of key and we're going to need to get it from this guy. Mm. It's it's very collaborative. But I think the game I was thinking of might be Dusk City Outlaws. And I think that might also be the one that you're describing. 
Maybe. I don't want to say it's Dust City Outlaws because there, it, Dust City Outlaws may be building off this mechanic because the cool thing about this is there's a timer during this nope, that's, session. That is Dust City Outlaws. Is the, it? That okay. timer is, is definitely there. Um, okay. You've I, got, I, I want to say I heard of this before Dust City Outlaws came out, so it may be based on something. Yeah, you've got 10 minutes to, to go through everything and then you start. And the, no, the thing that's no. really cool about nope, that nope, is... No, no, hold on, hold on. That, that's not quite what I'm describing. Oh, Because okay. the system that I'm talking about is similar, but the players can take as long as they want to kind of describe everything that they're going to encounter. But every, whatever period of time, maybe it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I don't know, the GM adds something and doesn't tell the players. Okay, so that is definitely not Dusk City Outlaws then. <laughs> Because Dusk City Outlaws has a very hard timer that you are up against, mm -hmm. but that also does a really good job of stopping the analysis paralysis that can creep in. So Yeah, and I think this game, like I said, I think it's an earlier game. It was probably aiming to do that, but I bet the Dusk City Outlaws version is probably more effective. <laughs> I mean, Dusk City Outlaws is an extremely effective game on a whole host of levels, so yeah, probably. Yeah, I've heard of nothing but good things about it. Yeah. Uh, Shadowrun, we mentioned that. That's based almost entirely around crime. Mm -hmm. Often heists, the game I ran, certainly was all about heists. But that's because, you know, we didn't want to do, like, assassination jobs and that sort of thing. Yeah. Or mm -hmm. bodyguarding as much. So you did one, but it was kind of a weird setup and things like that. So mostly heists. But that's because heists yeah. are fun. And, that's what <laughs> and then whatever you want to call, like, dealing with rampaging dinosaurs. <laughs> That was dealing with rampaging Elasmothosauruses. Yeah. Uh, or no, Elasmotheriums. Yeah. There we go. Also, speaking of Shadowrun, organ legging, stealing literal yep. body parts from people to turn a profit, uh, that mm -hmm. often crosses over into murder, too, but the ultimate motive is usually greed, although I'm sure for a lot of organ legger characters, the uh, sadism double or is a feature rather than a bug. Yeah, depending on what kind of Shadowrun game you're running. Yeah. Shady business dealings, ursery, things like that. Yeah. Uh, excessive markups on goods that are necessary for people to live. Mm -hmm. So, yep, those come up in games. But also, you know, the shady contract is, I think, a feature of a lot of games. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's a lot of stories in general. Digital theft. This, I don't think of this coming up too much in most role-playing games as gaming content. Certainly, it is a problem in the gaming hobby at times. Yeah. But I can't think of a lot of, like, well, IP theft as identity game theft. plot. Identity theft, certainly. Yeah, like that's that's the nasty one. It's one of those things where it's like it's kind of nasty out of proportion to a lot of other digital crime, right? Because you're you're taking somebody's well, it's, it's literally mind, personal. Right? Yeah, yeah, it's literally it's personal. personal. <laughs> yeah, it's and it, that's one of those things that I really like as a good example of why theft is so damaging because it's not a physical object that's being stolen. No, but it's somebody's reputation. It's their peace of mind. It's, you know. It's credit. It's passwords, access to other things. It's personal, embarrassing information, perhaps. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's a lot that goes into identity theft and a lot of damage that's done. And it causes a lot of work to recover. But because it is digital, it's almost never face to face, mm -hmm. right? I mean, there are some cases where, like, people steal checks or, or you know, forge papers, you know, forge, maybe forging signatures is the closest analog equivalent to identity well, theft, Well, I mean, right? sometimes, you know, kids, teenagers will steal their parents' identity to buy stuff they're not supposed to have, for instance. Yeah. Sure, sure. Fake ID, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Things mm -hmm. like that. But 
a good example. I don't want to use names, obviously, but back when I was doing IT for a staffing company, we kind of did uh, low-end industrial staffing, which meant a lot of people who were doing just kind of day labor-ish work. Not quite day labor, but kind of close to that that level. Short-term of contract positions? Short, short-term stuff. And we had a guy working for us who was a legal resident of the United States. And somebody stole his identity, but also worked for us. Oh, no. And the problem is somebody had set up our system in a bad way, and it was using social security numbers as unique identifiers. Oh, no. And they had stolen his identity and were working in a different state for for a different office. So we had this identity bouncing back and forth between offices, and it was this huge pain. And we had to, like, do all this paperwork to help this guy you know, once we kind of figured out the problem and it was, it was a huge mess, not, not just for us, but also for this poor guy who had this stolen because like he was suddenly liable for, for like twice as much in taxes. Oh gosh. Um, you yeah. know, checks weren't getting printed to like the state he was in. It was a huge mess. Yeah. So mm. like, that's the kind of damage this does. I think, I think we're all kind of familiar with it these days, but it's easy to Think of that as it's a harmless crime because you don't see the person. It's just numbers. It's a, it's a name, right? It's a very faceless sort of theft. But it really does have that that damage and it, that idea of it's a very traumatic crime. It is. It's very invasive. And the the thing is, like back when I worked for Barnes and Noble for a while, they had us using our social security number to like clock in and out and Ugh. for like oh, employee yikes. discounts and that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, this was no, way I back in never, the early aughts. Oh my gosh. Yeah, this, this is early on before we all kind of went, oh, right, this is a problem. Yeah, That's yeah, not a thing is... that Canada ever did to the best of my knowledge. Like, we had employee numbers for that for a well, long time. Well, welcome to the United States. We, we, got, yeah. um, we got employee numbers relatively early in my tenure there. I, I started in 2000, uh, 2001, and I think by 2003, we'd switched over to the employee number system, which was oh the same number of digits and stuff so it was it was really easy to kind of make the transition because you just sure you know memorized a different you know batch of you know yeah yeah, in threes usually and yeah that's still so bizarre to me like i'm still blown away by the fact that you guys it was a major corporation too like barnes and noble was a fortune 500 company at the time yeah i don't think they are anymore but (laughs) you guys didn't have chips and like, like every time I go to the states, I hate using my credit card because other people touch it. In Canada, your credit card never leaves your hand, and you have to put in your pin every single time you use it. Like most, th- that's how it is for most people now. Now, but like with well, debit cards, chips, credit, yes, credit chip cards and are pin, a little different no. sometimes. Yeah. Okay, like debit and credit for us is literally the same and to the best of my knowledge has been the same for a very long time we're catching up let's just say that very yeah. slowly <laughs> yeah it depends where you go. all right let's yeah. let's let the national rivalry rest for a little bit we know you're gonna okay. win but <laughs> we have a topic <laughs> but yeah you're right like that kind of digital theft and certainly you know watching someone put in a code a pen number an employee id a social security number that should never have been used as an employee id but absolutely <laughs> <Yeah>. is <laughs> Well, I mean, social or like shoulder surfing, they call it in InfoSec, is a real problem. Yeah. Well, and think about, you know, somebody getting into your phone. Yeah. That's super invasive. Same kind of thing. 
Mm-hmm. This is this is why my phone is locked biometrically and everything that I access that needs like a password from my phone goes through LastPass, which has a password that has been referred to as comically long. <laughs> yes. I would I would recommend that, you know, others do the same thing, like just a stupidly long password for your password manager, like 40 characters long. XKCD yeah. has a really good comic about that explaining yeah. good mm-hmm. passwords and stuff. There's um there's an interesting old episode of Security Now about the same thing too, but mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and what's interesting too is and we're getting a little off topic, but it's also kind of neat. The latest Windows 10 update now includes an option to not have passwords change on a regular basis. So you can set something just crazy strong and remember it. Yeah. That's the thing. Password reuse and very simple permutations of passwords, like my password one, my password two, my password three, as it changes, that's much less secure because it's trivial for computers to try that because people then default to shorter, easily remembered passwords and like and some sort of incrementer. Yeah, I'll give you an old one that I used to use for Steam. I don't use this anymore. The one I use there now is just a random string of characters generated by LastPass. But before then... I used the phrase uh, bulgur is in like bulgur wheat, filbert slalom tree, and then there was a six-digit numerical code appended to the end of that, two special characters in a capital letter. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but the, the thing is, Windows now includes that option because it's more secure for people to have longer passwords that don't change than shorter passwords constantly changing. Yep. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of neat. Anyway, let's move on from yep. piracy and identity theft. We've barely even talked about basic piracy, info sack too. Yeah, <laughs> let's talk about pirate pirates on the on the on the seas. Yarmity. Yes, because that is absolutely a gaming thing that, frankly, is quite a lot of fun oh, to yeah. play. Because you know pirates, but on either side, it bears mentioning like pirates mm-hmm. make either a fun PC group or great bad guys. Yeah, yeah, but this is absolutely theft romanticized as something player characters can do. Mm -hmm. That's something to think about. Yeah. It's also important to note that it isn't gone. Like, this is a thing that... that True. People forget about, I think. There are still real pirates, and they're very scary sometimes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot around um, the coast of Africa in different areas. There's, I think Mm -hmm. there's still some in uh, Southeast Asia area. It yeah. would not surprise me yeah. if there's even still a little bit of it going on here in the States on some of the major shipping lanes, you know? Yeah. Well, and of course, piracy, you know, we think of as uh, something that happens. Uh, the Caribbean has some too, still. Mm-hmm. Um, we think of that as something, you know, on the ocean, but there are certainly land-based equivalents. Yeah. Sure. Hijackings, <laughs> like convoy sure. hijackings of semis and stuff like that. Armored car robberies. Yep. V- very similar sort of thing. Uh, and we see those sorts of things in gaming all the time. Hey, we need you to go, you know, steal this magic item that's being transported as part of part of this caravan. Yeah. yeah. Train okay. job. Yep. The, the train job trope is so iconic. Absolutely. That's one of like the starting adventures that people have in Eberron. Like I think it's a, yeah. a published intro free RPG day style thing because there's a, a magical railway in Eberron. And you guys are riding it somewhere and all of a sudden somebody's trying to steal something that's being transported on the train and the player characters fight off literal train robbers in D&D. Yep. It's fun. It's great. But we use that as a gaming trope because it's such an interesting story trope that we're yeah. all familiar and, with. And mechanically interesting as well because you're all on the yeah. move. 
It's, You're all on the move. You have these narrow corridors, weird spaces. You can get up on top of the, the train. That's always fun, right? Yeah. That's, I mean, that's in every train job, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody's on top of the train dealing with that. The ability to, like, decouple cars and have the train leave them behind is a, a way of either stealing stuff that's in those cars or shaking off people sure. that you're fighting against. I mean, trains are an awesome, like, environment. If you've never set an adventure on one, which I suspect is probably about 3% of the people listening to this who GM, <laughs> but if you never have, oh my goodness, do it. Find a way to do yeah. it. Exactly. Trains are great. <laughs> um, one of the other things that comes up a lot in gaming is stealing back things that are stolen. This thing was stolen from me. Go take it back from the goblins or whatever. Yeah. Depending on the setting, so scripture says that reclamation of stolen property should be done through appropriate channels, right? Matthew 18 talks about this. The Old Testament, we we read that bit in Leviticus about how to handle property being returned mm-hmm. and you know making restitution and that sort of yeah. thing. I believe I also I don't remember the exact piece of scripture, but it's also scriptural to just go to the guy and ask for your stuff back. Yeah. Well, like literally it, just go and ask, hey please can i yeah. can i have my stuff back that i know you took <laughs> the the other thing too that i thought was cool about that passage from leviticus is it kind of presumes that the person is going to feel guilty about it at some point and want to make amends yeah so if the proper channels are well i don't have a good way to get something back from these goblins that aren't part of our our social order i need to find some adventurers to go and do that that kind of maybe is how you handle the theft of something important yeah. by something that isn't part of society. Yeah. Maybe that's literally just how the, your society does that. Or, you know, maybe this is, it's handled differently and you should not, but the PCs are being asked to do it anyway for suspicious reasons, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. There's always interesting story permutations that can happen, but it's something, again, to to look at and think about from a Christian perspective. Why are we st- telling this kind of story? Is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? Is it interesting? But what do I want to say as part of telling that story? Yeah. Or even just what do I want to get out of this after we've gone through and explored this a little bit? Sure. Interestingly, I think it's safe to say that theft being kind of a... a a story element we're all familiar with and sometimes having heroic connotations is less stigmatized than Mm -hmm. other sins in gaming. I don't think the same is true in real life, but in gaming, I think the heroic thief archetype is so common as to make theft almost not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you've got, Dusk City Outlaws, Leverage, the the Robin Hood archetype, you know, everything yeah. we were talking like Shadowrun. It's so the reason why theft is often so interesting is it's kind of a puzzle, right? A, a heist is a puzzle. You got to figure out how to get mm-hmm. past all of these different measures to get in, get the thing and then get the thing back out and then get a safe distance away. Like that sure. whole process is a very interesting tactical puzzle for a player group to work through. And it's a way to celebrate cleverness. Yep. It's why we love Ocean's Eleven and other heist movies, because we sort of get to vicariously feel how clever the the, the characters are, our protagonists, right? And even the villains, they, you know, or the antagonists, I should say, depending on exactly what kind of story we're telling here. Although that's variable. Like, Heat, the, the villains in that are pretty villainous. They basically just do all of their heists through 
sheer intimidation and force of arms. Well, sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I'm thinking Ocean's Eleven. You know, you have the the main casino o- owner who is set up as the antagonist and you're sort of given a reason to dislike him. But it's not like he's doing a lot of terrible stuff here yeah. in the movie. Oh, he uh, he wooed somebody's somebody's girlfriend slash spouse away. I don't even remember. Okay. They did set him up as somebody who, if he doesn't like you, he will ruin you and your family financially. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I suppose I forgot about that. It's been a while since I've seen it. But, yeah. you know, at the same time, it's like, is everybody else at the casino? Pure as a driven snow, yeah. <laughs> or, or that villainous, though? Yeah. Probably not. So... Although you could definitely make an argument that gambling itself is, you know, not uh, a great way to make yeah, money. But we're, but we're, again, getting way off on a tangent. Yeah. But, but I do think, actually, that ties into something else. So maybe less of a tangent than I thought. There is this idea that stealing ill-gotten gains is okay. It's okay to rob a casino. It's okay for Robin Hood to steal from the rich and give to the poor in particular. Yeah, it's it's okay to take down like a drug syndicate or something like GURPS Black Ops. They they say that that's one of the ways that the uh, agency funds itself is taking down like cash stashes <laughs> from drug cartels and stuff. Now, yeah. that's a very morally gray setting anyways. But. Yeah, I do think that it sort of falls more under the stealing back something that was stolen. If we're going for somewhere between theft of commission and omission. <laughs> because gambling is kind of like that. It's it's cheating. It's the cheating form of stealing. So I, I think that kind of stealing from, from you know, casinos and that kind of thing, that falls under stealing something that was stolen. Yeah, gambling is predatory. It, it kind of relies Very. on um, people's weaknesses and stuff to generate income. So that's one of the reasons why it tends to, like, gambling establishments, whether they're, like, actual legal casinos or, like, mob numbers rackets are such... I guess, cliched targets for PC heists and stuff, because it's like, ah, oh, mm. these people are all jerks anyway, you know? Yeah. I think yeah, I think absolutely. the only really morally gray area is, like, if you do not then proceed to redistribute that wealth in a way that is appropriate. Like, if, if you are stealing all of the money from the casino so that you can be the casino money person now, that's... Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, or, or even something great. like Maverick, where Maverick, by the way, is a great movie, even, even if it does have Mel Gibson in it. But, you know, I think it is Mel Gibson, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm so bad with movies. I made a claim and was immediately like, I don't know if that's true. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, but it's a it's a good, fun movie. And these scams and, and this very brazen robbery and, and things like that. And the folks they're stealing from, absolutely awful people. But at the same time, it's like, and they're just walking away and being rich. It's not like they're giving the money to the poor. They're trying to live it up. Yeah. They get like literally half the comeuppance they should get at the end. And that's it. Yeah. Like Robin Hood is a very light shade of gray. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, depending on the telling. Okay. To be sure. But I, I'm, I'm working with like, okay, I'm working with the Disney version here. Where that's Robin fine. Hood's a fox. Fox sure. Robin Hood. Or, or, yeah. Or the Errol Flynn version. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, either one of those. It's a very light shade of gray. You've got this, like, brutal, oppressive tyrant who is just, like, starving the people underneath of him while he lives in opulent luxury. And he's basically, like, recovering enough resources for people to continue staying above the dirt. Yeah. That's a absolutely. pretty light shade of gray, even in light of scripture. Mm-hmm. Maverick, that's much less unambiguous. Yeah, even in a comedy. Yeah. But, you know, that idea of, like, 
it's okay to steal from them is always something that we, we like we use it all the time in gaming. Yeah. We literally just did this in the City on a Hill game. Yeah. We rescued mm-hmm. some folks, which was great. I don't think anybody had any uh, any problem with rescuing prisoners who had been kidnapped and saving them. Yeah, it sounded That's like great. they were going to be subjected to some pretty harsh interrogation soon, too. So Yeah, or killed or something. It wasn't super clear because you know, there's a very heavy veil over that sort of thing, and that's great. But we also walked out of there with a chest of gold, and that wasn't ours. Yeah. And it was just sort of presented as, well, this is what this is what D&D characters do, is they walk out of encounters with more gold than they went into. It's fine. But really? Is that okay? Yeah. I don't know. I don't really think so. In a in a fictional context, as part of a game with established tropes like that, yeah, probably. In real probably. life, no. <laughs> well, in real life, certainly not. But also, in the setting we created, is that necessarily okay? Yeah. And I, I think that the scenario there is interesting because accepting that was necessary for us to maintain our cover and complete the rescue operation. No, it wasn't. Am I thinking of a different incident then? Yeah, I'm thinking. I'm thinking the one where we, you know, again we went into the the Kenku Tower with the orcs, right? Right. Weren't we like paid to escort the prisoners out of there, or am I misremembering? No. You are misremembering. We tried that. We tried to get paid to escort the prisoners out, and I, be- I believe I failed a, a charisma check. Okay. So- yeah. We. But then remember, we fought some orcs and a Kenku. Uh, we, we'd all gotten up to level three. It was that fight? Right. And then locked up the orcs in their own little jail cell, got the prisoners, and we, like, you know, did some fake ropes. Oh, yeah, we're doing a prisoner escort. One of the characters did some shape-shifting magic to turn themselves into the Kinku, wore his cloak out of there. That part, I mean, that's a disguise to help people get out. Right. Probably perfectly justifiable, right? Took mm-hmm. this, you know, it's a cool cloak and all, but also it's part of the disguise. But then the chest of gold sitting over in the corner? Okay, yeah, I had... I legitimately spaced that, so... Well, I remember it because uh, Trather helped carry that out. Ah, uh, okay. I think I'd sort of had a plan for justifying it to the NPCs who might be questioning us about it. But was it a just thing to do? Probably not. But the thing is, because it's so embedded in D&D that, yeah, you get gold for adventuring... You don't really think about it all that much. Didn't occur to me at all. Yeah. It didn't occur to any of us. Yeah, I'd, I'd completely forgotten about that part of the adventure. I was so fixated on, like, the, the fighting and the rescuing that I'd completely forgotten well, about the and chest. you were also doing, like, the whole, you know, thing with, like, manacles and all that. Like, yeah. we had this whole conversation going on, and that's fine. But then, literally, yeah, steal this chest full of gold and, you know, there's healing potions and things like that. Well, and Bertrand is surprisingly indifferent to money for a dwarf, too. Sure. Like, I, I haven't really thought about that until now, but that's definitely kind of been something that's been a thing with him. Mm-hmm. I should probably think about that going forward, because that could make for some interesting role-playing. Sure. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit as well here in a second, because part of what I'm doing with Trather is this very generous sort of nature. So there's so- sort of a similarity there. But yeah, I just I thought that was interesting because... It's so embedded that even in a game that is pretty explicitly Christian, like not quite, but very strongly and super family friendly, you know, that's super family friendly walking out of somebody's building with a chest of money that's not yours is just normal. Yeah. Nacho cheese. Yeah. (laughs) I'm done. I swear I'm done. I swear I'm done now. No, no, no. Hey, again, it's yellow. We're still on topic. Well done. We walked out of there with cheddar. With cheddar. <laughs> and we now walked it's out nacho of there with cheese. Cheddar. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, terrible accents. Also yep. part of podcasting mm-hmm. and D and D. All right. There's also, and I want to try and finish this up quickly because we've been going a while. Villainous thieves, they're often not portrayed as bad because of the fact that they are thieves. It's usually like what they steal or how they steal it, right? Goldfinger is a villain because he is very dangerous and murderous and because his plan is to steal all the gold in Fort Knox. Not, yeah, he's a bank robber. Yeah, and I mean, sometimes the stuff is even nastier, like WMD plans, uh, evil or powerful artifacts, toxic chemicals. I mean, stuff that you can really do some damage with. Or the other one that I I think is kind of cool is um, the thing that's being stolen is something that is presented as being like public property, like Mm -hmm. artwork is one of the big ones. Like, you know, if somebody is stealing like the Mona Lisa from, you know, the the museum to have in their private collection or something. So right. Mm -hmm. Or the cartoon supervillain stealing the Eiffel Tower or another famous landmark. Sure. Yeah. that, That level of silliness. But also this is a public important thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Gru stealing the moon in Despicable Me. <laughs> there you go. And likewise, how they do it. We love the folks in Leverage. We love Ocean's Eleven because, oh, they're tricky and they're 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 sneaky and they're not hurting anyone. Yeah, and then there's Killmonger and Black Panther who, like, kills a whole bunch of security guards and museum people just because it's expedient. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Method seems to matter a great deal. Mm-hmm. And certainly, like petty theft like we love a pickpocket in rpgs right somebody who's like oh he's quick fingered he's he's clever he's he's exciting whereas yeah but i mean sometimes it's also just used for setting texture right i mean you'll mm-hmm. you'll True. use it to set up um obstacles like you know the pcs leave something and it's gone when they come back like even like wheels off of a vehicle in a rough neighborhood or something it sure. it establishes an area as high crime or impoverished or dangerous if a lot of acts of petty theft happen Kind of whenever your back is turned. A gang shows up to try and rob these obviously well-armed adventurers. (laughs) It gives the area character. That's that's the ham-handed way of doing it, sure. But it's it's a trope for a reason. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think your average adventuring party, if they walked into a rough neighborhood... All of the roughness would probably give them a wide berth because it'd be like, (laughs) whoa, dude, that guy's got a glowing sword. I'm not going anywhere near him. Depending on relative levels. Yeah, absolutely. Like there are parts of Sharn that your characters would probably still not be super safe in. Mm -hmm. But numbers certainly matter. If you went in one at a time. It'd be a different story. Well, and if we went in at 15th level, for instance, which <laughs> is way high for Eberron, people yeah, would be like, third nope. <laughs> I mean, third level, honestly, is still pretty good by the books. Yeah. In in Eberron, Sharn, maybe not quite so much because it's a cosmopolitan city and there's just more people, including like Medusas. Yeah. Things like that. A little different, but yeah, you know, there's, there is the difference between I am powerful enough to challenge dragons versus I'm a third level adventurer. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. One last thing I want to wrap this up with. Oh, can I make another pun? You absolutely can. What's a Medusa's favorite cheese? I don't know. Gorgonzola. Oh, I get it. I get it. Uh, That's good. Yeah, there we go. More cheese (laughs) puns. That one made me happy because I'd never heard that before. I made it up in my head because you said Medusa and I'm like, but Medusa's her name. The others are Gorgon's. Gorgon cheese. Can I do Gorgonzola puns? How do I do a Gorgonzola <laughs> pun? 
There you I'm go. genuinely proud of you. Thank well you. done. Yeah. <laughs> also, for the record, did you think this was a no pun podcast? <laughs> have you been on the show? <laughs> have no, you I met know. granted I'm just, me? I'm just have you met of, Peter? I'm yeah. just sort of pulling them in from nowhere, though. Like nowhere-ish. Like I'm not right, working them into a all sentence. All of my puns are so well like grounded in context and stuff. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if we just have a bad joke every episode, <laughs> I'll be happy with it. <laughs> <laughs> we'll make that a regular feature going forward. There we go. We're not even going to have to try. We already have that. <laughs> Look, do you know how many books of bad jokes my daughter has? Oh, no. I hope it's <laughs> oh, zero. she's that kid. <laughs> oh, it's not. Oh, no. <laughs> no. She may have to inherit my elephant joke book. Excellent. All right. I want to quick. tell the kidneys thing, but we should keep moving. <laughs> we really should. One of the things I like about this uh, Ten Commandments from the Backside book is that the whole point of this book is kind of to rephrase and redefine these commandments in positive terms. Because we've talked about this before. All the commandments are negative statements. Do not do this, with the exception of things like keep the Sabbath. Uh, put uh, Lord, God first. Put God first. What's well, the God fancy first, word? But it's presented as you shall, you shall have, no, have other gods no other gods before, before me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Hmm. There, you know, part of it is positive, part of it's negative. That sort of thing. So many of them are phrased as don't do X. And so part of this book is redefining those as positive. And I like the one that he uses for this, which is you shall become a larger person. In Paul's letters... The Apostle Paul uses a Greek word, and I'm going to try and get this right, krestotes. The word is rather blandly translated in most translations in English as kindness. Uh, we read Romans 2.4 during our scripture reading. Or do you not show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? That word kindness is actually Christosis. In Greek, that's a much stronger word than our English kindness. Uh, William Barclay, who's a 18th century commentator, I believe. I think 18th century. Might be 19th. But anyway, he has a, a long commentary on Scripture. And in his commentary on Colossians 3, he talks about this word. This is that section in Colossians where he's listing off virtues. Paul's listing off virtues. There is kindness, Christotes. Trench calls this a lovely word for a lovely quality. The ancient writers defined Christotes as the virtue of the man whose neighbor's good is as dear to him as his own. Josephus uses it as a description of Isaac, the man who dug wells and gave them to others because he would not fight about them, as we see in Genesis 26, 17-25. It is used of wine which has grown mellow with age and lost its harshness. It is the word used when Jesus said, My yoke is easy, Matthew 11, verse 30. Goodness by itself can be stern, but Christotes is the goodness which is kind, that type of goodness which Jesus used to the sinning woman who anointed his feet, Luke 7, 37, 50. No doubt Simon the Pharisee was a good man, but Jesus was more than good, he was Christos. The Rhymes version translates it benignity. The Christian is marked by a goodness which is a kindly thing. And uh, another commentator, Martin Collins, describes it this way. Christotes denotes goodness of heart, kindness, graciousness, and includes gentleness. 
Kindness has many synonyms, benevolence, generosity, mercy, charity, philanthropy, sympathy, compassion, tenderheartedness, friendliness, etc. Now, Paul is not always using this word to talk about giving specifically, but it encompasses that idea of being a larger person, a more gracious person who gives freely, not just physically, but of your spirit, of your love, of kindness, giving of yourself. That selflessness is what God calls us to. We see it portrayed in Christ, right? All of the the tales we have of Christ and in the saints, both those we read about and those we know in our daily lives. We immediately can recognize this Christotes in other people. It stands out. And that is what God is pushing us to through this eighth commandment. Thou shalt not steal is a pretty simple instruction. It's four words. But what it implies is pretty remarkable. It implies that rather than taking, we should give. And I want to end on that, because that's the takeaway, at least theologically. In gaming terms, there's a lot that we could continue to talk about. We could talk about ways to run heists and whether or not it's you know a good thing to to practice what do we do with the rogue we didn't even talk about you know the rogue whose trait is always pickpocketing from other player characters right but ultimately i want you to walk away from this thinking about christotes thinking about something that's more than kindness but a love and benignity that encourages you to do for others and give to others yeah that's about as good of a concluding cool. note as we're ever going to have for this so yeah Yeah, let's wrap it up. (laughs) Excellent. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you again for listening to us. If you want to hear more episodes. Really good to have you back, Grant. Yes, oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm glad to be back. It feels good. I mean, my face is probably going to hurt a little tomorrow, but it's worth it. And it's at a point where I can handle it. So, yay. (laughs) Uh, And thank you again. I, I should say this. I've had several listeners reach out and see if I was okay, tell stories about like somebody else they know with Bell's palsy, that sort of thing. I really appreciate all that. Thank you very much to everybody who's done that. It really does mean quite a lot. It's it's difficult to express how much that means through like Facebook Messenger or, or Discord messages or whatever, but that really does mean a lot, and I really do appreciate Speaking that. Speaking of Crestotes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. If you like this episode, go back and listen to the other episodes in our Ten Commandments series, in our Virtues and Vices series. In fact, we've got 153 other episodes plus a bunch of bonus episodes that you can go listen to on your favorite podcast aggregator platform, uh, iTunes or Google Play or whatever. Of course, you can go to our website, stgcast.org, and listen to our backlog there. Read Peter's excellent blog posts that he does. Uh, You can join us on our Twitch stream every Friday night. We've got a lot going on, and it's all good. We've got a great community on our Discord server. You can join that from our website or uh, from the link that we have pinned on Twitter. Come join us. Hang out. We, we keep getting new people. There's yeah. probably a new person or two in our Discord channel every week, it feels like. It, mm-hmm. It's really good. Yeah. Been nice seeing the new folks coming in. Absolutely. Anybody else got anything? No, that's it. Awesome. Well, listen, from all of us here at Saving the Game, all three of us, feels good to be back. Have a good one. Take it easy. We'll catch you next time. See ya. See you later, folks. This has been a production of Saving the Game. All episodes are produced and published under a Creative Commons 4.0 attribution, share-alike license. Our logo is by Ruben Smith Zimple of 3d6design.com. Our music is The Promised Place Beyond the Clouds by James Opie. You can find more of his music at nihilor.com. To hear our past episodes, to find syndication and license details, to connect with our fantastic listener community, or to contact us or support our show through Patreon, visit our website 
at stgcast.org or savingthegamepodcast.org. God bless, do good, and happy gaming.